Yo, this episode of Cheat Codes, a sickle cell podcast, was made possible by Global Blood Therapeutics and is intended for educational and informational purposes only. Visit GBT.com to learn more. What's up, Warriors? It's Dr. Z. And Dr. C. Dr. C, I uh, got us a great guest today, man. I am very excited. I think that this guest deserves more time. And as such, if it's okay with you, man, I invited her to join us on some of our segments. That sounds good to me. So you're gonna have a little less less work to do. Sounds good. I figured you wouldn't be upset about that. Never. You never congratulated me about the Lakers winning the championship, man. Congratulations. I mean, it doesn't count now. It doesn't, it doesn't count if I have to tell you to do it, dude. Come on. I know. One of our patients who's going to be very happy about that. Dr. Z wrote him a prescription uh, to stay up late and watch the games. I don't think that's his true. mom was that happy about it, but at least it ended in five games. Yeah, six, but that's okay. We're, 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 right. we're, we're, we're okay with that. At least we didn't get seven <laughs> nights of him having to stay up late. All right, guys, let's get to it. All right, Warriors, we're on to our next segment, which is your and mine favorite, the word of the day. Dr. Mike, you know, usually I make you go through this maze of riddles and puzzles to get to what our word of the day is. I'm not going to do that today because we're going to bring in our guest for this episode, Miss Ashley Valentine, um, who you guys are going to hear just so much from during this episode, and we're lucky to have her on. So I'm not going to make her go through the puzzles and riddles that I make you go through. She would have saw right through it and got it right away. <laughs> so for both of you, uh, Ashley and Dr. Mike, we are going to be talking about lobbying as our word of the day. Lobbying. All right. So like like the waiting room. Nice try. Nice try. No, not that one. We're going to be talking about Okay, lobbying. so the second definition. So a lobby is a group of people seeking to influence a politician or public official on a particular issue like members of a, of an interest group that kind of put their voice together to, to influence bills before Congress, like that kind of lobbying. That's the exact kind of lobbying we're talking about. And the reason we brought in Miss Valentine is because that's exactly what she does. That's great. Yeah. So lobbying, I, I think it gets a bad rap. Some of it deserves a bad rap. You have a lot of people with money who try to influence politics and that can be a bad thing, but it can also be a good thing. And even if sometimes it's a bad thing, you, you have to, you know, balance it by lobbying for your side of the ledger too. What what kind of lobbying goes on in, in sickle cell, Ms. Valentine? Thanks for asking. Um, before we go into what type of lobbying goes into sickle cell, I do want to say, if I ever change careers, I dream of becoming a lobbyist. When I learned what lobbyists do, it seems like the coolest job. Um, lobbyists you know, they, they influence these decision makers for an issue. And so when you think about sickle cell disease, lobbyists understand how our federal government works. They understand who are the key decision makers that you need to talk to, who sits on what committee, who has access to the money, who doesn't have access to the money, but has a lot of popularity. So maybe you want to work with them. And it's pretty interesting because all the laws that happened in our land are run by our, our government. And so to have someone that really, really understands how that works and influences in that way is it's a pretty cool, it's a pretty cool job. In terms of sickle cell disease, 
I think advocates are learning how to lobby for the causes that we believe in and how to lobby to receive good health care. So we're in the learning curve, but I think advocates are pretty good at educating their legislators and lobbying for their issues. So how do lobbyists get in front of the people they need to influence? Can you just call your congressperson and say, I, I want to lobby, or is it better to be organized as a group? Do you have to go to a dark smoke-filled room with a bag of cash or uh, make a campaign donation? Or how, how does that happen? I wish we all had bags of cash just to keep and use all the time. That'd be great. So I think let's, let's think about the word lobby first. So it's the act of doing something. A lobbyist is a person, but then we, we don't want to get that confused with educating our legislators. That's different. So individuals like myself, like you two, the individual patient advocate they wouldn't be considered a lobbyist. They would be a patient advocate to educate their legislators. And every single person has the power to do that. And even if an individual sickle cell advocate works with a lobbyist or a lobby organization, they still are the experts. The advocate is the experts on their cause. What makes a lobbyist different is that they have all the bells and whistles to to work around Congress. So they spend all day understanding Congress, you know, what bills are happening for the entire United States, what legislators are working on their bills, what is all the language in those bills, how do those bills happen on the ground? And so, you know, it's, it's an expert like hematologist, you spend all day learning and understanding how blood works inside the human body. So you want to think about, you know, sickle cell advocates know just as much as their hematologists, but they aren't necessarily hematologists. Sickle cell advocates have the power and are experts on healthcare. So when they're educating their legislators, they might need a lobbyist to help them, you know, be a specialist in terms of, of how to advocate in, in the government. And that, that kind of goes both ways, right? The lobbyists might want to have some people who can tell the story or who have a lot of specific expertise and can make it more personal. A couple of times I've gone up to Capitol Hill as part of a, you know, disease group and they'll set up meetings where you go in and talk to maybe your Congress person or people from your state. And the lobbyists would ahead of time prep us a little bit and say, oh, he's really interested in telehealth and he wrote this bill and make sure you mention this and our ask. They always say our ask is this. We've got you know this bill coming up before Congress and we want them to vote yes on it or, or something like that. I think the lobbyists are really helpful in sort of organizing your message and, and putting it into actionable thing and being strategic about it. That's exactly right. So like the example for sickle cell I can give is Representative Butterfield he works in the United States House of Representatives and he co-sponsored the Sickle Cell Disease Treatment Act. So when I was working with um, some organizations who have lobbyists, they were able to tell me, well, he cares about sickle cell. He also has co-sponsored rare disease bills. He's on the Rare Disease Caucus. He is part of the Congressional Black Caucus and he is, comes from a state with high amounts of sickle cell disease. So as a sickle cell advocate, you know, we're thinking about a million other things. I, I wasn't really researching down to that granular point of all the things, why he would care about sickle cell. So it was important to have that relationship with a lobbyist that understood all the other historical bills that this representative had worked on. So when I went to talk to the office, I could say, I'm Ashley Valentine. I'm from Illinois. My brother has sickle cell. I know that your boss 
has worked in the rare disease community? Did you know sickle cell is a rare disease community? Did you know that this many patients in your state has sickle cell disease and this representative is part of the Congressional Black Caucus, sickle cell disproportionately impacts Black people in this country? Kind of see how the relationships works there? Yeah, that's awesome. I, you know, I want to back up just a little bit. So for someone who's unfamiliar, when you talk about the Rare Disease Caucus and the Black Caucus, can you break that down a little bit more for us? What, what does that mean specifically? They're like clubs little clubs within Congress, and then they focus on an issue together. Okay. And then with your sort of experience, the only the only organization I think right now off the top of my head that I can think of that would have a lobbyist on staff that works for sickle cell disease would be ASH. What, what are some other examples of lobbyists and organizations you've worked with that help represent sickle cell? So we don't have many. Yeah, it's a big problem. It's a problem, but I think we're working in the right direction. So some of my past is I worked as a policy researcher in D.C., and I was working on the back end of the Affordable Care Act. So I was seeing the products of a lobbyist. So, you know, lobbyists are working with organizations to get bills passed or signed into law, then they're implemented. So I was actually working on the Affordable Care Act, implementing some of the marketplace, and that's I was noticing that, you know, legislation didn't reflect sickle cell. What I realized is that we had to start all the way back, like even before we hit the legislation to when bills are being created to chart to include sickle cell in the conversation. Given that understanding, you know, that's because sickle cell isn't working in government affairs. So ASH does have a government affairs team. It has a lobbyist that works with them and they, they work with the SCDA and they write a lot of, um, they're helping to write some of the disease specific legislation. But I, I think what we need to do as advocates is educate ourselves on the process first. So even if we do get a lobbyist, what, what do we ask for if we aren't fully understanding the process? And then some ways that we're able to be active in government now is through partnerships. So sure, we don't have a sickle cell disease specific lobbyist, but Every Life Foundation works with rare diseases and they have a government affairs team and sickle cell is a rare disease. ASH isn't a sickle cell organization. They're, they're American Society for Hematology. Sickle cell is a hematological disorder, so we work with them. We're part of a coalition now that is focused on transplant therapies. So we're, we're thinking about six sickle cell transplants are, are happening. So their whole team has lobbyists. So now we're able to kind of include sickle cell into that conversation. So in the future, I think organizations like our six cells that focuses on government affairs will eventually get a government affairs team so we could start to write disease specific legislation and hire a lobbyist. But in the meantime, we can learn from all these organizations and educate ourselves so that we know what we want when we finally have access to one. Amazing. That was very informative. Thank you for educating me a little bit. You heard it directly from somebody who's got her hands on the pulse of, of government, government advocacy and lobbying. Um, thank you, Ms. Valentine and Dr. Callahan. Appreciate y'all. Thanks, Dr. Z. Thank you. All right. So now we're up to the part of the episode every week where I get to hear what's going on. I don't follow the social media as closely as Dr. Z does. So Dr. Z, what's happening? What's happening in short is something that our guest on this episode was a part of and was having uh, social media blowing up a little bit about the advocacy effort that she 
was part of. Um, so so we're, we're lucky that we have Miss Valentine on here with us to talk about her experience because that it was a once in a lifetime experience. It was certainly an experience that I don't think anybody's ever had in, in, in relation to sickle cell disease. I found out four or five days before it happened that Miss Melania Trump was hosting a sickle cell disease roundtable. And as it started to sort of leak out and get a little bit of traction on social media, I started realizing that the group of people going to represent our community was a group of really familiar faces, friends, I dare to say, who would just do such a magnificent job representing us. And I wanted to bring um, Ashley into this conversation because what an amazing event, what an amazing landmark opportunity to represent the sickle cell disease community. Thank you for representing the community, number one. Number two, I wanna hear everything. Tell, tell us about your experience at the round table with the first lady. At, at the White House, right? At the White House, live, during a pandemic. I want to hear everything. Hopefully you didn't get COVID there. No, so n none of us got COVID. We were all tested before. Maybe we can start there because I know that was a hot, a hot topic, a hot question. So yes, we were invited to the White House and myself, Shamanica Wiggins was invited. Um, Dr. Drew Campbell from Children's National was invited. And then- All, all have been on cheat codes so far. I was literally going to pipe in and be like, <laughs> literally every single one of these people has an episode for them now, including you. So. Oh, wow. Maybe it's this show that got us there. Your show has such like clairvoyance <laughs> that you're like, these are the people that will be at the White House roundtable. Let's get them before Halloween does. Melania invitation extended. This is true. Um, but we can we can start just like setting the scene. So I know, um, Dr. Zadie, you were saying you found out maybe five days before. I, I found out the Thursday before and I'm in Illinois. And so I'm a little scared to f fly right now during the pandemic and both of my parents are out of work. So I did ask my dad if he wouldn't mind driving me from Illinois to DC on short notice. So dad and I road tripped together. That's dedication. Can we just, can we just say something about the dedication there? I mean, you jumped in a car and drove 10 hours to advocate for an hour and a half. Yeah. Yes. It was a 12 hour drive. Thank you. Thank you for that level <laughs> of commitment. You're welcome. I, I mean, it's a really big deal. So sickle cell disease has not gotten this level of awareness, a, a white house acknowledging sickle cell. This is a, a second. The only other white house to do this was under Richard Nixon, but that felt a little bit more performative. Whereas this round table felt more genuine. And the reason why I felt genuine was because Admiral Gerard, the assistant secretary of health was the linchpin in this in this event happening. And so we were there with Admiral Gerard, with Captain David Wong, with um, Rear Admiral Captain Felicia Collins, Dr. Gary Gibbons was there from the NHLBI. So these, these major public health officials that have been working day in and day out for sickle cell were all there. And it, it, it's just so nice to see them because we haven't seen anyone at all this year because of coronavirus. So knowing that they were there kind of took some of the pressure off of this event. And that, and that's that's really important because they've been such familiar faces in the sickle cell landscape over the last three and a half years. I mean, we've seen them at every big conference. They've been present. So I could see that being uh, helpful in your confidence. Yeah. 
And it also helped to trust the situation a little bit more. We have to acknowledge that this is a Trump administration. And so what we've seen come out of the news hasn't necessarily been positive. And we're in this coronavirus pandemic being asked to travel and have an in-person meeting with people with chronic conditions. So all, all of that was weighing down on me. I know it might have been weighing down some of the other roundtable people. But if you think about the opportunity and the people who we were going with, it really helped us. It helped me trust the situation a little bit better um, because, you know, this this assistant secretary wouldn't put us in harm's way. So when we got there, we were all rapid tested for coronavirus. And then they ensured us that every other person in the room was also rapid tested, which was helpful. Um, and then a lot of the public health officials had masks on in the room and you can't necessarily see that with um, the pictures that are shown. And then I, I kept my mask on the entire time just because I was so visible and where I was sitting. And I mean, I think it's important coming from the sickle cell disease community that no matter the setting you're in to safety first in terms of precaution and having to keep mask on during this pandemic. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm looking at that picture right now. I was just pulling it up as you were speaking. And uh, you and Dr. Drew are, uh, are holding it down uh, as far as masks go. That alone is that's a that's a loud statement. I appreciate that that tremendously. All right, so you get to the White House, you get your rapid test done, mm-hmm. and then what happens? Well, then they brought us to a pretty historic room where I believe it was it might have been Martin Luther King had gone there, and it was pretty symbolic of the civil rights movement. And you know, I kind of interpreted that as. We're here, you know, for a movement. We've seen rapid change in the sickle cell disease space, like only within the past five years, but we've had access to, and in a way we are fighting for civil rights for sickle cell disease patients. So then they um, walked us into the actual room we were in and it it was really great to have Shamanica there to see Dr. Drew Campbell. It kind of just made it all more comfortable. So I was sat next to one of the policy analysts for the White House. He was telling me about he had family members with sickle cell, this, that, and another. Um, so like a little secret about Ashley is when I am nervous or just in an awkward situation, sometimes I make fun of people. Like sarcasm really helps. So this person I didn't know who is a policy analyst for the White House had called over some of the other people working the event to ask them how to say this H word called hydroxyurea. So I felt inclined in that moment to start heckling him. Cause that's what I do. So, you know, I was saying like hydroxyurea, hydroxyurea, <laughs> like, can you spell it? Can you say it? <laughs> so as I was doing this though, it was Shamanica who sort of shouted over the table saying, Ashley, do you see the empty chair next to you? That's, that's the first lady's chair. And as she was saying that and walked in the first lady. So I kind of was like, Oh yeah, you're right there. Right in those pictures. You're right next to her. Yeah, I had no clue. I was clowning. I was misbehaving. I was making fun of people for not knowing how to say hydroxyurea. And then suddenly, in a, in a moment, all the cameras are shuddering. And in walks in the first lady who I have been sat next to. <laughs> so she comes and sits down next to you. Yes. And you, you set aside the clowning for a little I bit. I stopped right? clowning. I was on my <laughs> okay. best behavior when I realized all those cameras were then facing me as well as, as Melania Trump. So I was on my best behavior at that point moving forward. The weight of the moment was probably just immense, right? And, and to step up to that moment and be able to get your message across the way you did. What did you, 
I mean, what were you just sure of that this is what I need to get across to pe people at the White House today? What was your thought process in, in generating what your statement? Yeah, my thought process in generating the statement was last minute. And mm -hmm. I say that because I spent the whole weekend and Thursday and Friday reading every piece of legislation and educational material produced out of HHS and Office of Minority Health and the federal government. And when I got there, I asked Admiral Gerard on the steps, like, what am I, am I talking about appropriations? Am I talking about bills passed? And he said, no, you're talking about your family and your experience with sickle cell. And I looked at him, I said, I didn't write anything about none of my notes that I'm holding are on that topic. Wow. I, right, and so, and sitting there, I, I wrote a little bit of what I talked about, but what became very clear to me was it was important, very important that the reality of our lives was said in that room, you know, where they're celebrating, we're celebrating the successes in sickle cell, but I mean, my brother just died in June. So how far have we really come? Right. You know, we've, right. we've lost 25 year olds earlier this year, just this week, um, my nonprofit, our nonprofit was tagged from a, a, a second grader that died in 2017. We're talking DERB meetings. I was just working with the advocates out of Oklahoma to try to get the new drugs onto the formulary without prior authorizations. And we failed at that. So we're, we're celebrating and we're so excited the success of all we've done for sickle cell, but it was so important in that room that I said, yes, we've done something, but we haven't done enough. And if we stop right here in this room, then we've not, we've not succeeded what we're here to do. So it's very important to make it clear that there's still a problem happening. And it was so important that before any of us could pat ourselves on the back in that room, that we had to make sure that the progress made it to the community. Amazing. No truer words have been said. Uh, there's so much left to do. Wow. So you just gave me goosebumps for, for the second time. Now, let me tell you this. Once you left... You know, just because I want to make sure we cover all the aspects of this. You're driving back to Illinois, you get home, and now your social media is blowing up in two kinds of ways. People who are giving you an attaboy, patting you on the back, and others who are unsure of why you did what you did, because it is a Trump administration that invited you. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. How did you navigate that? How did you navigate this that whole process? That's a good question. I mean, me personally, I was both of those voices already. So I was pretty well prepared for what the internet was going to say. I mean, everyone has the right to be upset that a Trump administration would host a room full of African-American advocates, you know, less than 50 days outside, out of an election. But the reality was the, the White House, the first lady of the United States actually doesn't have power to make policies the goal of a FLOTUS event is, is awareness and going to the White House also is a new level of awareness. And so if we think about just facts here, it is true that the Assistant Secretary of Health has created so much awareness within the federal government for sickle cell disease and that celebrating that at a White House roundtable with the First Lady was just another way to gain international international support. And what I mean by that is, I mean, we can look at some numbers. Um, the first lady has 17 million followers on Instagram. And so I can't think of any other account right now with 17 million followers that is, is sending out pictures of people with sickle cell disease. Um, yep. On YouTube, there's 
hundreds of thousands of views. That's a big deal. Even some of the right wing newspapers, so Breitbart covered it. And we've seen historically that Breitbart does not put out cultural competent material, kind material, but they covered the story and the language that they covered was accurate. And then something else I started to notice was that the comments were not polarizing. The comments were super nonpartisan in the section, comment section. And many advocates also use that as an opportunity to educate. No, I mean, I, I was looking through those comments, uh, exactly what you're, what you're saying. I was surprised, honestly, um, that, that the, the comments were as genuine appearing and um, I want to even say positive and supportive. Um, it, it was kind of in, in this really polarizing world that we're in, it felt like that was a little sliver of why this country is still k- kind of okay. You know, not great, but kind of okay. I mean, I still think we have, you know, we have hope. Um, so I, I want to make sure we leave enough time for, for the interview. Um, but I just, I just want to thank you, uh, truly. Um, as somebody who spends um, their nine to five with sickle cell disease patients, um, I want to thank you for making it your nine to five and your five to nine and, and doing this 24 um, seven with enough dedication to jump in your car, drive 10 hours in the middle of a pandemic to a um, Trump White House to, to, to represent the community. Um, so hats off to you. Um, I don't have words to thank you for that type of commitment. Yeah, it was fun. I would do it again in a heartbeat. Maybe with a bigger mask this time, like a respirator. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, right. Well, there you go, Dr. Mike. So Ashley Valentine is what's happening now. Uh, six cells is what's happening now. Uh, that, that, that's, that's what I have for you in this segment. Cheat Codes is brought to you today by Global Blood Therapeutics. GBT is a biopharmaceutical company committed to discovering, developing, and delivering life-changing treatments that provide hope to underserved patient communities, including sickle cell disease. GBT is grounded by a mission-driven culture and built with a team of experienced and passionate people committed to making a difference in the communities it serves. Cheat Codes is grateful to GBT for supporting today's episode and for serving the sickle cell community. All right, Warriors, I've got to say, when I reached out to our guest today, I thought that she was going to be like, you know what, Dr. Z, I'm just, I'm a little too busy for your nonsense. And and I, I was pleasantly surprised that Miss Ashley Valentine, co-founder of Six Cells, decided that she would honor us today by, by being here. Ashley, welcome. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. So my first interaction with you uh, indirectly was at Access to Care a few years ago. You were asking some pretty awesome questions. And I was sort of like, who is this person that is so well-spoken about sickle cell disease and is so knowledgeable about advocacy? And that's sort of uh, when my following of you began. I want to sort of talk about your journey to that point. Tell us a little bit about the story of Miss Ashley Valentine. So I, I got involved in sickle cell disease because I was born into sickle cell disease. Um, so I'm a co-founder, but the other co-founder is my brother, Marcus Valentine. And there is a five-year age difference between us, but Marcus was born with sickle cell um, hemoglobin SS. 
and was in and out of hospitals a lot as a child growing up. Um, and so I spent, I spent all my time with Marcus and my mom, as we know, sometimes childcare is hard. So I would gladly be placed in a playroom while Marcus was going to his, his doctor's appointments in Chicago. Five years older he was than you. He was five years older than me. Yeah. And so we talk about the joy of children's hospitals and that's exactly what I experienced. So I had a blast in hospitals when Marcus was there and, um, that's like, that's not to negate the experience he was having, you know, he wasn't there because he was always in and out of pain and, and really sick and had these complications. But I think what children's hospitals do is they try to blind the other siblings to what's going on and they treat you like princesses and princess when you're there. Yeah. So I, I, I grew up in understanding sickle cell disease um, as, a, as a child, but I, I also learned that no one knew about sickle cell disease and it was kind of our burden to carry as a family and it was our normal so I didn't I didn't tell anyone about it sometimes I would do presentations but I didn't really tell anyone about sickle cell and and the way that you were envisioning early on about how you would tell your story was different from what it's become yeah so I didn't even envision telling my story I mean even still as we work the story is the valentine story or marcus's story with with my story woven in within that but it, it, it never it never was this like broad life goal to advocate for sickle cell. It more was it, it was a need and it was a favor. I like to joke. <laughs> yeah, I think that the evolution then into what you have become has become so apparent over the last at least apparent to me in the last few years that I've gotten to know you. You spent some time in Europe. Yes. Walk us through that. Tell us about sure. your education and how you got into policy and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. So I'll start back at how sickle cell, how, how sick cells was a favor. So the way sick cells got started was in 2008, Marcus actually was doing his own documentary about his life with sickle cell disease. And his goal was to just build awareness about what goes on in the households. So at the time he was doing things like at-home IV fluids and our entire refrigerator was just filled with IV bags. But again, that was normal. So you'd move an IV bag, grab the barbecue sauce, put the IV bag back. Mom would yell at us because we spilled barbecue sauce on these really expensive fluids, <laughs> but like they were in the way, whatever, they're in a double bag. <laughs> so, you know, that, that was very much our normal or, um, you know, I can give shots if I needed to. Like I was never allowed to poke Marcus when he had to do those overnight chelations when Desferol was still mm -hmm. the overnight pumps. But for instance, our school schedules are very much, uh, you know, around when we would do those overnight infusions. So Marcus wanted to showcase his life in order to try to help others understand what the general population with sickle cell goes through. Um, so he worked on that until 2013 and then the filmmaker, something happened with her emotionally and she kind of disappeared off the face of the earth, changed her phone number and took all the footage with her and left. Done. My. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And this is like years of footage, like Marcus in crisis, going to hospital appointments, interviewing his doctors, interviewing his friends, the school teachers, my family, oh, like my all of goodness. this personal footage, she had it and, and left with it and it closed the door on and gone, changed her number, was gone. And this was 2013. What a nightmare. What a nightmare. Yeah. So Did you ever get it back? That's part of the that's story. That's the rest of the story. All you right. just wait. <laughs> <laughs> 
So in 2015, now we fast forward to 2015, I had been working at my policy job in DC for a year and a half, almost two years at this point. I had understood how to open and close enough credit cards strategically without accruing debt, but accruing miles. And then I was able to fly back to Europe for $25. I was so excited. I finally did it. I touched on in France. I entered Wi-Fi and I had phone calls and messages from my mom saying, you need to turn around and come back. Marcus is septic. He's in the ICU. I don't know if he's going to make it. So I was like, oh, okay. How do I do this? So my 10-day trip got cut to... I think four days because I had to get from France to London and then I flew from London to Chicago. And so during that hospitalization, I spent, I had the day shift in the hospital because my mom was working day shift. She's a nurse, so she couldn't take off work. Um, And then my dad had gotten, eventually had gotten fired from his job, but he too is an electrician. So he had to go to work all day. But as we know, as sickle cell advocates, you can't really leave someone in that condition in the hospital alone. So I got the day shift because I, I had a work remote job. Yeah. So I was I was spending 10 hours a day every day in the hospital during the day so that they could go to work and then they'd come take the night shift and I'd go home and go to sleep. Okay. How old were you at this point? You were like 19, 20. Oh, this is 2015. This is recent. Like this five is years recent. Ago. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Okay. Yeah. But even five okay. years ago, it feels like a lifetime. Yeah, it really does. Okay. So 10 hours a day in these hospitals. Marcus was very, very sick. We saw everyone from infectious disease, from ortho came by, respiratory therapy was there, pulmonologists, hematologists, and to all of them came. And he pulled through. He had to relearn how to walk. The avian had ruined the bones in his hips. Somehow in that hospitalization, a floor nurse decided that Marcus was lying and accused him of being a drug addict while, while no. he was hospitalized. Yes. Whoa. After all of this, now I'll say the emotional blow was like hard for Marcus. He like just couldn't believe it. And this was a, he, she did it too, right? When I was leaving and my mom was coming, we're like we we're doing our family shift change. So he was alone for like probably forty five minutes, and this happened. So you know everyone was really upset. Fortunately, Marcus has a really good care team, and that person got in big trouble because all the specialists were like, "You said what? <laughs> wow. You have you have upset the Valentines. Now you're in trouble." Um, but, you know, I was talking with Marcus and saying to him, how is, how is this still happening after all of this? Like, we have gone through hell and back during this hospitalization. You're so sick. You can barely walk. We're living on the fourth floor. We've been here for six weeks. How is this still happening? And so in that moment, he, he said, Ashley, you know, I can, can you help me get the documentary back? And can we turn this into a nonprofit? Because storytelling is the only way that we're going to change hearts and minds before we can even get new treatments for this condition. So that's, that's the favor. And I said, okay, Marcus, I'll do it for you. I'll do it until you get your hip replacement. And then you're on your own. That just speaks so well of Marcus. I'm always impressed with um, our patients when they're going through terrible stuff. And instead of you know, focusing on themselves, they're thinking about how this impacts other people and how can I help other people? Or sometimes even uh, patients say, are you doing okay, doc? You've been here a long time. And I think, boy, you're going through something awful and you're worried about me. That's that just really, I think speaks, speaks well of your brother that that's what he was thinking about going through that. Yeah. And that's always how Marcus was. He thought if he could teach anyone from his lived experience, 
And if that could make one of his friends' lives better, he'd, he'd do that all the time. Like he would sit there, I would come in and there would be just like rooms full of people as he's like, and this is a leg wound. It hurts like heck, but if you want to get real close, I'll show you how it's happening. And his goal was always his friends. He has so many friends with sickle cell. He's lost friends with sickle cell. His goal was always to try to make sure that the next person that encountered that medical professional would get better treatment than he got or the same treatment that he got. When we talked about this episode, we said, you know, we're not gonna, we're not going to talk about Marcus that much because the wound is fresh. Um, but it's hard not to, right? Um, and I, I had the fortune of meeting Marcus one time uh, right here in Detroit, actually, at, at, at the SCDA of Michigan walk. Um, and we talked for about five minutes. But even in those five minutes, he smiled for the entire length of our conversation while he had oxygen on, mm-hmm. sick, just smiling. You have that effect on people, Dr. Z. I don't think it was me, man. I think he <laughs> would have had that smile no matter who he was talking to even if that person was not being nice to him. It, it, that's just the kind of person he struck me as in that moment. Um, so it, it, it was five minutes, but it stuck in my mind. Um, and I, I still remember I was inside the, the, the Charles Wright African-American Museum, um, you know, and uh, that moment is so clear to me. Anyways, um, we digress. I just want to just one more time give you and condolences that- on, on, on the loss of your brother just three months ago. Thank um, you. But this favor that you, that you've that you that six cells was to him has become everything i mean what you're doing in the form of a favor has just exponentially gone from getting video footage back to really changing sickle cell disease but i want to hear about the video footage did you get it back yes my dad is very proud to say that he raised a lot of hustlers and he says that we know how to hustle. So I was not making a lot of money when Marcus asked me to do this. I mean, I'm still broke, I like to say. So I, I said to him, yes, I can get the footage back. Um, I just need, I need a little bit of time. So what I ended up doing was um, I had to hire a lawyer to help us get this footage back. I located the filmmaker who had the footage, but oh boy, did, was I working. When I went back to DC, so my day would start at probably 7.30 or 8 in the morning because I would get to my day job then. And then I would bike because I was really broke, so I couldn't take taxis. So I would bike to the English language school at 5, and my classes start at 6. And so I would teach from 6 to 9, four days a week to bring in extra income. And then I'd bike home, and then I would work on six cells at nighttime. And because lawyers can be expensive, especially entertainment lawyers, one of my friends was in law school at the time. And so she would stay up late with me and help me basically put together all the legal materials ourselves. So essentially all we were doing was handing it to a lawyer to proofread and put their name on it so that we can get the footage back. So I did that for probably three or four, I I did that for four months, like biking in February at 10 o'clock at night. And I give updates to Marcus being like, okay, Marcus, look, we, you know, we almost got the footage back and this is the next steps. Um, And so I did that for four or five months. We got the footage back and then it was almost two years before we could actually turn six cells into a nonprofit. And the reason we did that was because we saw a need, we saw a need and we saw the, the power of storytelling 
um, and what we could do to try to help other advocates tell their story in this way. And 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 along the way, you're you're teaching, but you're also learning, right? You oh, yeah. get your master's in in Scotland. Yes, I did. That was fun. So I I do I have a master's of research methods. It's called the MRes, and I went to school of University of Aberdeen. Um, so I had gone to Aberdeen as an 18 year old to play violin. I play violin. And I went there for the Aberdeen International Youth Festival. And I'd never left the country as an 18 year old. And so this like magical place that looked like real life Hogwarts was just so cool. It, so you it is real life Hogwarts, isn't it? it I mean, it it's, it's way up in the tip of the highlands. Is that it's, it's like a mystical place. It's, um, it's in the, amazing. It's in the Arctic Circle, if you didn't know that. I did not know that. Wow. Mm -hmm. um, I bring that up because I then, since I was 18, had traveled, I'd studied abroad, I lived in Spain for almost two years, and I'd seen real beaches in my life. And so as a 22-year-old, I was thinking, oh, I'll just go back to University of Aberdeen because they have the master's I want. It's cheaper than U.S. schools, and there's a beach. And so I got there and it is, it is called the granite city. Everything's granite and it rains. It rains all day, every day. It has three hours of sun during winter. It's cold. My hands were always pruny and like raisins. Oh, oh my, my God. God. Summer's so cool though, because there's 20 hours of sunlight. I love sunshine. And so I was camping and things like that, but the highest it gets is like 74 degrees and it's North very north wow wow oh my okay so you get your mres in what sounds like a nightmare from a weather standpoint um at hogwarts some... though at hogwarts yeah. it was kind of cool though like i know you were a gryffindor I, I think i was a gryffindor we'll see sometimes maybe I'm, i really want to be a slytherin but i think i was a <laughs> gryffindor you know now i I see that you also spent some time helping sickle cell patients in London mm -hmm. because it, apparently you, I know you're saying you did this as a favor to Marcus to get footage back, but you also can't, you can't help yourself. I mean, it's just in your fabric to be helping people with sickle cell disease, no matter where you are. Maybe that's it. Maybe I just don't even realize how, it's how did you end my up, psyche. How did you end up helping patients with sickle cell disease in London? I, so I think the people in London helped me learn more than I helped them, if I'm going to be honest. So my, my original dissertation project was on teen pregnancy. And I just, there was a lot of people already doing work in teen pregnancy. I didn't really feel like I was going to make a difference about teen pregnancy. And so my original project I submitted was to look at disparities in teen pregnancy in Aberdeen. And much like sickle cell, I got that call where my mom was pissed because something went wrong at the hospital and she was just so frustrated because this nurse made her mad and this doctor didn't do this and insurance denied that and she's so tired and Marcus was dehydrated and decided he was going to leave the house without his coat and now she's mad and my dad is getting on a nurse, all of this stuff. And so I was listening to her and I was like, maybe I should do sickle cell because I mean, there's sickle cell patients here there's this problem that exists. Why not use this time to explore what the problem is and see, see what I can learn about sickle cell here. Um, and what's interesting is that was 2011 and 2012. I had only met one other person with sickle cell in my life at that time. So I 
decided to look at health disparities for people with sickle cell disease and then break it down a level and look at the impacts of racism, stigma, and historical context on access to care and quality of care. Wow. So you're studying this in Scotland. The landscape of access to care for sickle cell disease is very different uh, compared to compared to the United States. Yes. But I'm sure that that helped with your perspective in access to care. And then those differences allowed you to, to really um, probably get a better understanding overall. Absolutely. So I can tell you how I ended up getting down there. This is where like the rebel yeah. in me, where the slithering comes out. Um, so I proposed this project to work, <laughs> to work with sickle cell disease, but there isn't really a sickle cell population in Scotland. So in learning about patient access, most of the patients with sickle cell move from any of the regions of the United Kingdom into either Birmingham um, or London, because that's where black and brown and Indian people and people with sickle cell live. And so that's where the specialists are. So I actually met someone who had used to live in Scotland, but then there were no doctors to take care of them or medication and they weren't receiving good care. And so they ended up moving the whole family down to London. Um, that matters because just to give you an idea, a bottle of water in Scotland is probably like 50 pence, like 50 cents, very cheap. A bottle of water in London is like two pounds. Like it's very expensive. London is a very expensive city. Um, so I had submitted to do this project and it actually got denied the first time. I was told that they couldn't let a, what did they say? They couldn't let a rogue sociology student explore this like highly sensitive topic on their own. And I said, well, I'm going, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do this because I understand sickle cell. I come from sickle cell. This is an opportunity to become an expert in sickle cell. So they didn't get me a response fast enough. So I went ahead and booked my train ticket and I went. And then I was emailing my advisor from the train like, well, I'm here. So figure it out. Um, and we figured it out. So yeah, they, right. they approved it because I was already in London using my, <laughs> using my university accreditation to get there and do this research. That and then does I'm, sound like some Slytherin stuff. Yeah. That sounds like something Dr. Z would do too. That's, uh, that's awesome. <laughs> yep. And then I ended up working with a nonprofit called the Meriton Sickle Cell and Thalassemia Network. And the connection there was the executive director of that society. Her name is Eula Valentine. Shout out to Eula. We're not related at all. But okay, I was gonna. You had me. I was like, is this gonna turn into some family reunion story here? Yeah. Well, I was hoping. We really thought and tried, but we don't. I don't. From what I know, we're not Jamaican. <laughs> so it just so happened that she had the same last name as me, and that was so relevant and a coincidence because I had called multiple sickle cell societies to try to volunteer there during the summer, and they all told me no. And so this woman was like, yeah, we're probably family. Come on down. Wow. And she gave me access to her community. She trusted me to, to work within her community. She gave me an office in her little office that she worked in. She brought me to all her family dinner. She would drive me all around London on the wrong side of the road. I would just be like hanging on, trying not to throw up on her front seat. Um, her son has sickle cell. <laughs> Wow. Uh, that, that was her relationship there. I went to council meetings. Um, they do screening in the shopping malls. So they sent yeah. me out to do that. And they're like, you have, you have American accent. They'll talk to you. And so I was in these shopping malls being like, do you know your sickle cell status? I know the Obamas. Stop and, it. <laughs> yeah. For real? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What? 
And so then, oh, you know, okay. I, I would catch people with the, do you like, what's the accent? And then I'd be like, well, now I have your attention. Let's talk about sickle cell. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, so I got a lot of real life experience there. And then I ended up doing qualitative interviews. So I was being invited to homes of people living with sickle cell in the UK. Um, and they'd come to her office and I, and I did 12 interviews, I think, um, while, yeah. while I was there talking about sickle cell. Wow. The energy you give off as far as sickle cell disease goes, is just so, it's so fantastic. Um, so, so you, you, you make your way back, right. And your sick cells is in its infancy at this point. Um, Marcus presumably is working here, uh, mm-hmm. on sick cells while you're there. Um, and then you get back and you team up right yes. in person. And, yeah. and, and, and what, what's coming from now, now, which direction is six cells going in once you guys team up? Cause, cause your policy work, you did policy work in Washington, right? Exactly. So what, well, before anyone starts a nonprofit and I do, and I want to stress this cause I know a lot of people want to start nonprofits. It's a lot, it's a lot of work. You're not selling a product. You, you can't be like, okay, if we sell 100 water bottles, we turn a profit and then we can hire more employees. You're selling an idea. So if you think about you're selling a mission and idea, we're talking about sickle cell. To convince someone to invest money in something they don't care or know about, that's very hard to do. Um, so that's kind of the funding side. But the other thing about starting this nonprofit is we did a lot of research. We did a lot of research on what already existed, what didn't exist, and what voids existed. And so before people start nonprofits, it's really important to do an environmental scan of the landscape and see where there are voids. And so what Marcus and I realized is in 2014, if you had Googled sickle cell in 2014, all you saw were skinny black kids in hospitals. That's it. And I think that's going to be hard for people to even fathom because now we see so many beautiful portraits of, of sickle cell patients and families and people who just look wonderful. And you see people yeah. with sickle cell who are sick, who are healthy, who are working. You see all of it, right? Back then mm-hmm. you didn't. All you saw was just skinny black people in hospitals. That's it. And so that was what people thought when they thought of sickle cell. Um, so the awareness piece was where the documentary came in, like the storytelling piece. But then something I noticed through my policy work was that sickle cell was non-existent in legislation. It just wasn't there. Um, CMS didn't know sickle cell existed, even though CMS issues all the Medicaid and Medicare in the United States. Private payers didn't know sickle cell existed. We're talking about quality measures in hospitals and 30-day readmission rules. They didn't know sickle cell qualifies for readmission rules. Like there was no trace of sickle cell anywhere in legislation. And so what we did was we figured out a way how to be sustainable and continue to adapt to the circumstances that we're in and fill the void of storytelling to influence decisions. I I think you just wrapped so many important things into that minute there. Yeah, I I mean, and and like effortlessly, you just wrapped it in like it took no effort at all. It was just like one sentence. I, I think one thing is, you know, everybody, not everybody, but lots of people want to help. And if everybody does the same thing, it doesn't help because you start dividing resources, you're competing with each other. And so I think finding your niche and finding where you can make a difference is so important. So I, I, I applaud you for that. And then I think the other thing is it's, you know, incredibly hard to make people care about things. 
and statistics don't do it. Um, but stories do, I think if you can, you know, have a, have a, a compelling narrative, it gets people, um, into your shoes and, and makes them think about things differently. So I, I think both of those things are so important. So warriors out there, if, if you want to get involved in advocacy, I think those two things are important. Find your niche and, and do it with stories. Yep. And also trust that people care. So that's something that we had to learn. I had to learn that people would care about sickle cell if I told them because I just stopped, I just stopped talking about it because, you know, I would, I would be faced with, oh, isn't that that black disease? Isn't it this? Aren't you guys that? Are you this, that, and another? And the reality was, no, it's the disease that my brother has and he's struggling through it. Marcus always trusted that people would receive him when he talked about sickle cell disease. And I found that so inspiring. And Marcus was a, a like conversationalist. He has, he had friends from everywhere. Um, you know, let's see, I'm trying to think of all the spectrum of people that Marcus were friends with. He did Reiki. And so all these Reiki people now know about sickle cell disease. He was very religious. I didn't even know Marcus was religious until after he passed away. Cause I've been snooping in his journals. Um, wow. And I know. Oh, wow. About the religion, not me snooping in his journals. Yes. That's well, the both. Slytherin in me. I've been nosy. <laughs> um, so he, he, like he really educated himself about religion. So he has various different sectors of religion who know about sickle cell disease. I'm talking like the Mormon church in our neighborhood knows about him and sickle cell disease. There was another Episcopalian church knows about sickle cell disease. There was plenty of, of priests and, and um, pastors at his funeral that were approaching me saying that Marcus had gone to their church. It's like, when did, when was Marcus going to church? Um, I thought he was wow. just at his doctor's appointments or he um, he used to go to the gun range. We would have big fights about that. But these like really scary, like rifle people were telling me, oh, we know so much about sickle cell. And I was like, what? <laughs> 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 Excuse me? Um, he rode horses. So all the therapeutic horseback riding people know about sickle cell disease. So what I'm getting at is the story is powerful because all of these people who we, we thought wouldn't care cared. And then on the other side of this, all of these people that didn't think sickle cell impacted their lives because it's just, Oh, you know, the black population's problem. They started to realize that they probably interact with people who have sickle cell more than they realize. And this, this person that they love so dearly has sickle cell disease. And so it started to change the way they were thinking. And in the long term, that's creating advocacy and awareness, which will generate donations and also generate kind of protectors of this community. Like, don't ever try to disrespect Marcus or say something bad to him. One of his friends, who's a military friend, was in the hospital when someone was trying to mistreat him. Mm -mm. Or we had a caregiver try to mistreat Marcus and his military friend showed up again. Like, I'm scared of this kid. Like, mm -mm. don't mess with his friend. (laughs) I mean, he, what, what, an, what an amazing personality. I, I love that. I mean, just the ability to unite people like that, you know, um, free of any, I mean, across all stereotypes. I love mm-hmm. that. You talked a little bit about sort of this piece of understanding that legislation, the discussion was not there. Yep. It just wasn't happening. You guys brought that discussion to life you were very vocal and, and a lot of our communication then started happening about something we covered in cheat codes in the early episodes. And whether you know it or not, I've been shouting you out on cheat codes for, I don't know, 
at least three, four episodes because of how impressive you are in, in conversations that we've had. And you may not remember this at the walk in Detroit. You said, hey, I want to talk to you about this ICER thing. Put your name on this list. Put your email here. Let's have some conversations about this thing. And I was like, okay, cool. Let's do that. And we had a lot of conversations about ICER. So talk to us about six cells and ICER. I do remember talking to you about ICER. I have a pretty good memory. I remember that. I remember that walk. We lost Marcus that day because he was making friends at all the booths. Yep. Um, That was a really good day. So ICER, ICER stands for the Institute for Clinical and Economic Review. So you've done a story about them before in the ICER review. Um, The ICER review was pretty major for the sickle cell disease space because it was an external entity that influences decisions and they were going to evaluate this community space without our participation. Um, yeah, so they, they kind of go through and say whether a drug should be paid for if it's cost effective or worthwhile. And yeah. so they were reviewing new sickle cell drugs. And if they say it's not cost worthy and worthwhile, then it's hard to get access to those drugs. Exactly. Exactly. And the, the thing about the ICA review was um, I, I knew it was important and it was one of those moments where I, I firmly believe that I might've been the only sickle cell advocate that knew ICER was happening and what it was. And that's not a good thing. That's an overwhelming thing. <laughs> I, I will tell you when I get really stressed, I lay on the floor and cry because I'm also a Gemini and dramatic. So when the ICER review was, was announced, ICER reached out to me. And all of it was just weighing on me at once because my very first reaction, I called Marcus while I was laying on the floor having a moment like, oh my God, Marcus. He's like, Ashley, I'm not feeling well. And I was like, but Marcus, I'm on the floor. And he's like, okay, fine. I'll I'll listen. Um, My very first reaction when ICER called was, this is so unfair to put our community through this right now. And what can we do? What can we do about this? You know? Um, so I had my 10 minute meltdown, I call them and I'm sure other people with sickle cell disease or advocates have these too. It's like zero seconds to 10 minutes when you first get put in a crisis where you completely freak out. Then after that time, you're like, okay, so how are we going to fix it? And that crisis could be a sickle cell crisis, could be a hospital crisis, could anything. Right. So I had my 10 minute freak out, but then it just became very evident that we had to get as many sickle cell advocates um, privy to what ICER is, but then we also had to show force and against ICER, you know, to let them know that this community has been beat up and kicked around. And for the first times in our lives, we have access to, to treatments and do not underestimate the sickle cell disease community because we are frequently underestimated or excluded. And in this situation, you know, it just was another entity coming through pretending to be experts about something they didn't know about. And our organization, couldn't let that happen. And we also had finally built infrastructures to start to, um, you know, motivate the sickle cell community to participate in this review. You mobilized the sickle cell community in a way that um, was just, it was refreshing, honestly. Um, I I needed it. I I needed a little bit of that, uh, the kick in the butt, like, hey man, I, I need you to. I need you to be angry. I need you to be more angry about this. I need you. I need you to figure this out. And it was really interesting because I was one of the reviewers that mm-hmm. ICER asked to review the report, which I which I did. Um, but I think a lot of our conversations were so important in that moment because it 
gave me a different lens, a different frame. It, it gave me a little bit of an understanding that this is more important than what I was thinking about in the moment. So thank you for that. Let's cut to the to the end of that story. You were successful in your efforts um, because the public meeting that was scheduled never happened. And though they put out their report, they sort of quickly realized that it wasn't going to fly. Tell us a little bit about that. For someone who may be unaware of the story there, what, what happened eventually with ICER? How did that story end? Sure. Um, so we, we were really successful. And I do want to stress we because Maggie, our, our director of advocacy, her and I really ran this, just the two of us. And I couldn't have pulled this off without her. She did so much work on the ICER review in terms of mobilizing the sickle cell community, educating, um, really taking this community as her own um, and advocating for us as if, as if she was directly born into sickle cell disease too. She was in my inbox once a week. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. You know, yeah. shepherding everyone. And what made the ICER review unique was that it was so important that the patient voice led this cause and what we haven't seen in sickle cell disease is the patient voice leading the cause. And I mean, you, you, your team knows this. Frequently, it's, it's medical providers or drug, well, not even drug developers. It's usually medical providers that are speaking for the community with maybe one or two patients. It's never a level playing field. And so in this ISA review, we really had to ensure it was a level playing field and that the patient perspective was going to be front and foremost. The other major thing about our ICER review, this was the very first time that ICER had reviewed a majority black population. So that in itself means that there needed to be rules changed for us. And they, some of them were shifted, but they were never fully changed. But we couldn't prove that unless we went all the way through the review and we met them, we met them where they were. So that's kind of my general comment about the success of the ICER review. I think it was successful. It was successful in the sense that we communicated our issues very, very clear mm -hmm. that sickle cell, the entire sickle cell community knows about ICER. And if someone doesn't, then someone else will be able to educate them about ICER. Value assessments are really important. The concept of a value assessment is actually a good idea. If the medication, the cost of the medication is cheaper than the cost of keeping someone alive, then why not pay for the medication? And then something else that we learned, though, is that the process to come up with that cost to keep someone alive is just not reflective of what the patients experience. So that was just another moment where we realized we really need to do more research. Um, but we ended up we ended up having to cancel the ICER review after all of that work because of coronavirus. And even that was kind of a power struggle because ICER's first reaction wasn't to cancel wasn't to cancel the ICER review. They wanted to keep it going. And I went ahead and I, I just called the president and was like, look, we have been such good partners. We have done everything you've asked for, but what, what we cannot do is put our patients and our medical providers at risk for this type of meeting. So they ended up canceling the ICER review. Yeah, that was like the middle of March. That was like right when the thing was, this was right when things were exploding. Yeah. Yeah, yes, yes. It was on a Monday because the CDC had just updated their guidelines for, for um, vulnerable populations on that Friday. And mm -hmm. then that Monday we issued our statement saying that we, we weren't going to travel. And then I called, I called the president and requested that he cancel our meeting. Wow. 
But the meeting cancel aside, it was it was such an important review for this community. We generated patient-led data. We had a coalition and all these different organizations were working together. Um, and then also starting to think about their own disease in terms of economics. Like how much does this disease cost me? How much yeah. should I be set? Like that is a major impact. If, you, if you're talking to someone, being sure. like, actually I miss 60 days of school a year because of sickle cell disease. So what can you do to, to lower yeah. that number? This is advocacy. I mean, I, I think this was a situation where if, if the sickle cell community sat back and was passive, decisions were going to be made for them. You stepped into that void and advocated and, uh, you know, put pressure on, on the ICER institution to try to do the right analysis and um, get our voice heard. And even if they don't come to the right answer, at least there's both sides of the argument on the table and it's clear to whoever's making those decisions that they're not doing it in a vacuum and that there's another side to the argument and that there's going to be pushback if they make the wrong choice. And I, I think, you know, that's a huge role for advocacy to get the, get the voice out there for uh, situations where there's these huge decisions being made that are going to affect people. So thank you for that. Yes, no problem. And to, and to empower the community to tell their story in a, in a different way, like craft your story and, you know, for the audience that needs to receive it. And I think yeah. that was an important lesson for all of us too. Like, how are you going to make sure that your voice is heard because your voice is important. So what can we do to help you ensure that your message is carried? Seeing the way that the community came together in that moment was um, special. I mean, it was really, really nice to see that. Um, and, and you guys really were driving a lot of that. So, so again, thank you for, for your efforts, your consistent efforts. I want to be cognizant of time, but I want to hear a little bit about what Six Cells is up to. Mm -hmm. What does the next year look like for Miss Ashley Valentine um, and Six Cells? How are you going to continue to do this favor for Marcus? Oh my goodness. What does the next year look like? That is like a crazy question to ask anyone right now, because like six months yeah. ago, we were all supposed to be on vacations outside, not having like acne from masks being on our face the whole time. Um, so I, I will say we, we are planning for 2021. Um, so six cells right now, we, we formally launched our ambassadors program, which is really exciting. We had been informally doing all of the things that I had explained beforehand, but now we formally have launched it. So if there's any advocates that are interested in getting involved with advocacy, learning how to tell your story, working on legislation at the federal level or the local level, or just wanting to meet other sickle cell advocates, um, fill out the interest form and Maggie will give you a call. Um, so that, that's really exciting to have that program formalized. Awesome. We, we, last year we went to the sickle cell walks to interview patients and caregivers and people to do the storytelling, but we had to move that into virtual form because of coronavirus. But what we did do was launch a blog series. So something we kind of noticed is that there aren't many like blogs, lifestyle blogs that are consistent and coming out. So we figured that's just another platform where advocates can share their stories and their experiences and learn from each other. Partnerships. So we're still partners with many of the rare disease organizations. And something we're doing now is we are working with Nova Northeastern University with some of their med students. So we're trying to explore a little bit about how to start to train doctors when they're young. So maybe their second year of med school about sickle cell disease. So by the time they 
start taking care of patients, they would have already learned about sickle cell. So those are kind of the main things we have going on. Um, I have something in my calendar on November 12th, taking action on improving quality of life for oh, individuals yes. with sickle cell disease. Yeah, there's so much going on. So through the ISA review, it became evident that multiple multi-stakeholders need to come together to discuss sickle cell. And a lot of insurance companies have started to learn about sickle cell disease. So we partnered with Avalier and they are a private sector health policy research firm to host a multi-stakeholder roundtable. And we have stakeholders from private insurance companies, we have Medicaid directors, we have industry partners, patient advocates, we've invited the HHS officials, so hopefully they can come. Wow. We have providers, nurses. So in, in total, it's like 20 people. So we're gonna figure out how to do that virtually. But if you think about it, when have we ever had all those types of stakeholders at one table talking about sickle cell? Absolutely. And then Absolutely. the goal from there is to continue to find research efforts um, through what comes up at the roundtable, but then also invite a lot of patients so that the focus is what is important to a patient. Amazing. I mean, you are just a powerhouse and I am so happy that I'm getting to see this courtside, I feel like. Courtside, you mean from live from my children's bedroom <laughs> at my mom and dad's house. <laughs> I'm quickly realizing that one episode with you is just not going to be enough because um, we're, we're definitely going to need some For more sure. of Six Cells and Ashley Valentine infused into uh, the Cheat Code series. Yeah. I want to thank you. Um, and, and, and for anyone listening out there, are there some last parting words you want to give us on just sickle cell in general and, and, and the direction we're headed in? Sure. I think my last parting words would be stay tuned because we are figuring out how to craft Marcus's story while he's in his angelic form. Um, Marcus left me a lot of breadcrumbs through journals and cartoons and writings and friends. So the legacy of Marcus continues. And then I think I would just tell the advocates to feel empowered and inspired and you are the expert in your disease and join our ambassadors program. We need more ambassadors. Awesome, awesome, awesome. All right. Well, there you have it, Warriors, Miss Ashley Valentine. And um, we hope that Marcus continues to rest in power and look forward to keep sort of hearing his story from you and, and, and see how you continue to generate sickle cell awareness and, and, and advocate for this group of individuals. We are so thankful to be partners with you in this. Um, and again, thank you for being on this episode with us today. Thanks for having me. Really, thank you. Thanks again to our episode sponsor, Global Blood Therapeutics. Visit gbt.com to learn more about GBT's commitment to advancing the treatment and care of people affected by sickle cell disease. All right, Dr. Mike, in this segment, we usually talk about what we call a peer-reviewed publication, something that is a piece of the scientific literature, a clinical trial, but today we're going to talk about Another piece of literature, not necessarily scientific in its nature, but a report that I think deserves a little bit of attention. This is a report from the National Academy of Science, Engineering, and Medicine. It's a strategic action plan for sickle cell disease, and I'm excited to hear about what your thoughts are. Yeah, so I, I like on this uh, segment switching it up a little bit. So we've done a whole bunch of different kinds of um, literature, big 
multi-center studies, case reports, review articles. We've done some of them with the authors, which has been fun. Um, yeah. But today we're going to talk about um, really a big, basically a governmental report. The very best and brightest get put on the National Academy of Sciences, um, Engineering and Medicine, or NASM. This is a, a group that the government puts together to give them advice about different topics. And so they'll get tasked with um, basically summarizing all of the evidence and giving recommendations on a um, ton of different things. Like it could be on climate change or it could be on COVID or uh, you know any number of topics. Um, but they put together really um, experts in that area, experts in the methodology and um, really tremendous um, depth to these reports. So they put together a report um, called Addressing Sickle Cell Disease, a Strategic Plan and Blueprint for Action. And to give you an idea of the scope of this thing, it's, it's over 500 pages long. So it's so comprehensive, not only from the panelist standpoint, but just from the topic standpoint. There's a bunch of different sections. So it starts with an introduction to what they're doing and it has a scope of the work and how they gathered the data and information about sickle cell disease and about stem cell transplant and how sickle cell patients access the healthcare system and the history of policy and funding for sickle cell disease and important uh, organizations and people in sickle cell disease. Um, it gets into societal factors, environmental factors, um, the, the, the burden of sickle cell disease. Um, and then it starts getting into more of the medicine behind it. So it gets into screening and, and then it talks about really a, a huge deficit of um, registries and, and surveillance operations. So we, we don't have a great handle on, you know, how many people are living with sickle cell disease, where are they living, you know, a whole host of things that, that we're missing information on. And then it gets into the current management and um, a, a really big focus on pain there. Um, but also new therapies and um, stem cell transplant. Therapies for cure and therapies that help. Exactly. And then um, it, it gets into um, healthcare utilization. Um, how are children accessing care? Um, what about the transition period between childhood and, and adulthood? And what the, the healthcare is like for adults? I'll, I'll spoil the ending and say it's, it's, it's not, not doing great. Um, and then yeah. comprehensive delivery models, barriers to care. And then again, a little bit of information about um, services for stem cell transplant. Um, and then um, models of high quality care in sickle cell, how to prepare people to do that um, and how to apply, you know, we have now some guidelines. How do you get those guidelines into application? And um, we talked about that a little bit with Sheethal Jacob last episode. And then the development of new therapies and, and how to deliver those um, next generation therapies, how to engage the, the community, where are the sickle cell organizations and patient advocacy groups, what are the challenges for those groups, um, how does this fit into other rare disease, what are opportunities um, on a local level and, and on a um, system-wide and, and national level. And then it, it sort of puts together a, a blueprint of, you know, how we can get there. So it's, it's a really thorough, um, document and yeah, absolutely the, 
whole thing is it's actually really well written and each section is actually very readable and and it, you can learn a lot from it but uh some of it might be a little boring like and a lot of um i mean people who we respect tremendously uh contributing to this so oh absolutely um like dr iffy on soquo dr enrico novelli uh, dr kim smith whitley um you know no shortage of people even the reviewers i mean dr betty and chancellor donald james ekman dr tt in houston johnson haynes and mobile dr Cantor. just a just a huge who's who of people in sickle cell disease for sure and 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 outside of sickle cell disease so there were also area experts and things like population health and um you know how to collect the literature on this and um you know, really, really just outstanding group. And it can't even imagine the amount of work that went into putting together something this comprehensive and, 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 and very biopsychosocial in its approach. For sure. And uh, if, if you don't have time to read the 500 pages, there's also a four or five page um, highlights that goes through, you know, a, a very brief summary, um, but also really focused on the end game, which was the strategic plan to, to move forward. They talk about things for people with uh, sickle cell disease and sickle cell trait, um, that it's going to be really important to establish a national system to collect and link data. So again, those registries that we don't have um, to look at outcomes and needs across the whole lifespan. Um, and then organized systems um, to assure clinical, and again, you said biopsychosocial, non-clinical support to people living with sickle cell. Um, we need more um, research to strengthen the evidence base around interventions and disease management. And that's something we talk about all the time on cheat codes is there's just so many gaps in our knowledge. Um, and, and then to implement those things and monitor um, the quality of, of care. Um, sure. to inc increase the workforce. So we need to train uh, people to be um, sickle cell care providers um, to improve awareness and, um, and build on strategic partnerships. And we you know, had a great talk today with um, Ashley Valentine, who's doing a lot of that, but um, working with Department of Health and Human Services, working with advocacy groups, community-based organizations, professional associations, um, and, and then working with pharma to address barriers to um, getting the current therapies and to making better ones in the future. Um, yes. They have a big focus on sickle cell trait, and so they, they want to implement things to understand sickle cell trait, to have people For understand sure. what that means to them, both in terms of disease manifestation and, and planning for uh, children and um, the impact of trait on society. And then I, I think to, um, the, the last piece was about establishing a fund to, to fund all of this, to build this research agenda, to inform effective programs and policies across the sickle cell lifespan. Yeah, I mean, this is certainly the most comprehensive plan of action that I've ever seen in regards to sickle cell disease. I don't think we've ever seen anything like this. And, and you know, Dr. Z, I'm a skeptic and I'm a, I'm a hater in a lot of ways, but I really liked this. And I, I think, you know, they've given us the blueprint. We got to execute it. Yeah. I mean, this is the playbook. 
So if you're an advocate, if you're an if you're into advocacy, this is your playbook right here. This is what this is what it's all about. Um, so hats off to the team that made this happen. Hats off to HHS uh, for making this a priority. Um, and and honestly, we got into this a little bit with with Miss Valentine. It's nice to have some people in the White House and the administration who are allowing us to talk about sickle cell disease in the way we are. So, um, you know, credit where credit is due. For sure. All right, man. Thank you for breaking down the NASM report for us. Appreciate it. All right, Dr. Z, that was a great episode. Miss Ashley Valentine off the hook. Doing she so is, much great work. I mean, the only thing missing, honestly, is her crown. She is just got this energy about her that makes you want to do more for sickle cell disease because you talk to someone like that and you're like, wow, she is hustling 24 seven for sickle cell and sickle cell awareness. Um, it makes you feel like you're not doing enough. And I love being around people like that, that motivate you to do more. So that being said, if you're trying to do something small for sickle cell disease today, Share this podcast with someone you think could learn more about sickle cell disease. Follow me at Dr. Z Sickle Cell and follow Dr. Mike at Imagineer. Follow the Cheat Codes Pod account at Cheat Codes Pod on Instagram. Uh, we're going live with warriors uh, from time to time. Let me know if you want to go live on the Cheat Codes Pod Instagram account. Um, you can request to go live with me or Dr. Mike, depending on whether you want to go a little academic or you want to go a little hood. Um, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we, we both could, we both could swing, you know, either um, way on that. So, uh, let us know, um, and, uh, make sure you, you know, check out the NASM report that we talked about today, um, in the show notes. Also make sure to go check out six cells and, uh, Miss Ashley Valentine, I think that's it, man. We covered a lot in this episode. Thanks for joining us, everybody. All right, y'all. Peace.